This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yes, lovely little weekend at the seaside, all the way down to Weymouth for a, a lovely nil-nil drill. That was well worth it. But it was a bloody sight better journey than going to Yeovil and back, I'll tell you that. Even It was long, but it was no issues on train, no uh, overcrowding, no magic seats disappearing and all sorts. So I like I like Weymouth a lot more than Yeovil, put it that way. That's good. So you can recommend it on on TripAdvisor. It was a nice. I I went on Friday afternoon uh, or Friday morning actually. It was six and a half hours there and seven hours back on the train. But I had a nice little burger and a curry um, while I was there and had a few pints. And it was nice. It was a nice little uh, trip down to the seaside. I'd, I'd have liked to seen a goal. That would have probably made it a bit more worthwhile. But nonetheless, uh, a nice little weekend away to Weymouth. How was your weekend? Oh, pretty laid back, really. We working on Saturday. Wednesday messing it up in the last minute, standard, day off on Sunday, pretty relaxed, so yeah, pretty sound, pretty solid, but championship action kept me entertained, that's for sure. Yes, and we've got plenty of that to get through in the next hour or so. As always, a reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And on today's podcast, we'll be analysing a shot win for Coventry City, Nottingham Forest applying promotion pressure, and a bad week to be a goalkeeper. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And we're going to start this weekend's roundup with the match on Sunday, where Coventry City shocked Fulham at Craven Cottage, coming away 3-1 winners. I think it's fair to say, Judge, we didn't really see this one coming. Uh, Coventry, brilliant, brilliant in victory. Uh, early opener uh, from a corner, and then, I have to say, uh, an absolute howler from Marit Rodak to let Giocarez's shot in Past him, a bit of a common theme, which we'll be going through bad goalkeeping performances this weekend. And in fairness to Coventry, um, they had to withstand a lot of pressure from Fulham. When you look at the underlying data, Fulham created a, an XG of 3.38 expected goals. So this wasn't, you know, a smash and grab. It wasn't one-way traffic. It was very much Coventry got in front uh, from a set piece. A little bit of fortune, you have to say, with the second goal, because Rodak should do a lot better. But then they defended resolutely and they managed to keep Fulham at bay and a Fulham side that obviously score goals for fun. Dom, Dom Hyam getting a lot of rave reviews from perform- from his performance across social media and, and in the, the written media as well. And with Giocarez and Callum O'Hare causing problems in attack, it, it was a, a pretty stunning away performance, to be honest, to complete the double, of course, over Fulham, having beaten them 4-1 at home earlier in the season. And it also ended Alexander Mitrovic's hopes of scoring against every team in the in the championship this term, much to Coventry City fans' delight and the admin on the, behind their Twitter account. Um, and just a really, really good performance from Coventry. Key players stepping up when you need to. You know, if you're going to go and win away at Fulham, you need the spine of your team to perform well. And in O'Hare, Gokarez and uh, Dom Heim at the back, they certainly did that. And a really good away performance. Terrific away performance, it really was. It, it epitomised everything what this Coventry's team about. And if you looked at the bench on Sunday, it wasn't the strongest. They really were having to scrape the barrel for what they could get on the bench. I think there was two goalkeepers on there, I read. So a terrific away performance from Coventry and out of nowhere ended a four-game winless running in style. And I think when you think about it, it was always in the back of your mind, could it be a slight banana skin? Obviously, Coventry, they they got a point at Bournemouth earlier this season. They got a point at Huddersfield. So they've pushed the very best all the way this season and to complete the double over Fulham, scoring seven goals against them in the process in two games is no mean feat. So it really suggests that Mark Robbins has done his homework on, on Fulham and how to nullify them. But like you said, they had to they had to withstand some pressure. There's no doubt about that. But a terrific away display. Just everything about them was just on point. They were so well disciplined, so well organised. Obviously a helping hand for two of the goals, but still they've got to force them chances and get into the positions. And yeah, Coventry just, they, they seem capable of producing a shock. And for me, it's just such a shame that it looks like they are going to miss out on the playoffs. Not in the sense that they've done anything bad, just those above them have just been a little bit too strong over the last few weeks. But I mean, realistically, the six points shy of the playoffs with five games to go. If you'd have offered a Coventry fan that in August, they'd have snapped your hand off. It's been a terrific season for them and Results like this against Fulham are obviously going to be the biggest highlights of this season for them. 
but to have gone to Craven Cottage and obviously dismantled Fulham in a way in respect to the scoreline, stopped Mitrovic from scoring, not that we've heard anything about that since, with uh, how much publicity that tweet's had. He even made the news, didn't it, today? That we've seen on, saying it on made the Telegraph. news is prob- probably uh, stretching things a little bit. do not matter. It made the news. I- the, local, the local press. I'm not bothered. It made the news. But yeah, we've got to mention on the website. I'm up with that. But let's be honest, Coventry, they've, they've been terrific this season and it's always in the back of your mind that they're capable of this and they've proved it again. Jokeres, all right, giving a helping hand, but another goal for him. Three for him against Fulham this season. Mitrovic has scored none against Coventry, so he's won that individual duel. But for Coventry, a great away display and one their fans, I'm sure, will, will remember for many, many years to come. I imagine Coventry are the first team to do the double over Fulham this season. I don't have that, those those stats to hand, but I, I can't imagine anyone else. I trust the stats man over uh, over on my Zoom screen. So if he says so, then I'm happy to go with that. I'm intrigued to see what Coventry do this summer. I think they could very much do a Luton. Luton, we saw, finish the second half of last season very strongly. We're interested to see what the recruitment looks like. They don't have buckets of money to spend, but that doesn't have to be a barrier. I'm intrigued to see whether they cash in on one of Gyokerez or uh, Gustavo Harmer or Callum O'Hare, perhaps, and use that money to rebuild in other areas. Or whether they go, no, we're going to keep th- that core. We're going to stick with what we've got and we're going to add where we can. And, and yes, it'll be limited budget, but we trust our recruitment to get the right players, very much like Luton did. Luton didn't cash in on anyone when maybe could have been a few offers for Adebayo, perhaps. Um, maybe Coventry, maybe they cash in and use that money to, to strengthen elsewhere. Maybe they run with what they've got and just try and tweak a few areas. But I could definitely see the momentum if they finish the season well and how good they've been this season under a very, very good manager they could potentially take that forward into next season and be dark horses for the playoff places. The race for automatic promotion is is now interesting, George. We didn't think it was going to be, and the reason it is because Nottingham Forest, of course, moved up to third in the championship with a 2-0 win over Birmingham City, moving them six points behind Bournemouth now. Um, Goals from Keenan Davison and Scott McKenna doing the damage in this one. Davies, in my opinion, I don't think there's been a better... January edition than him. Um, Lewis Baker, Cameron Archer, of course, will come into it. But I, I think when you consider where Forrest are and losing Lewis Graben, who'd been a talisman for them, I think Davies coming in. And I think on that first goal, it just, I had strong vibes of it. It looked like a year 11 playing against year sevens. Too strong, too quick, too powerful for the Birmingham defence. And a fantastic finish as well past uh, Neil Everidge. As good as any January business, as I say, and he certainly loved the uh, loved scoring against Birmingham as well with the the celebration that went viral over the social media over the weekend as well, scoring against Blues, of course, on loan from Aston Villa. I'm intrigued to see where his future lies next season because he needs to be playing regular football. I don't see him being Aston Villa's starting number nine next season, not by any stretch. So I think the best thing for him would probably be that Forest go up and maybe they'll buy him permanently. I could see that happening. I think it probably costs too much money potentially for a championship club to buy unless one of the relegated teams' parachute payments was to do it. But I'm not sure how many Premier League teams would want to maybe take that chance on him. But I could see Forrest. So I'm intrigued to see what happens to him next season. And although you know we've, we've given so much praise for Forrest in terms of the offensive work they've done with Brennan Johnson, Keenan Davis, Zinkenagel, we have to point out that the thing that's actually separating them and the, t- the teams in and around them is their defensive record. They have been imperious this year. They've conceded eight times in the championship since January the 1st, which is a record matched by absolutely nobody. So there's teams in and around them that will score as many goals as them, as much as we praise their, their attacking talents. But defensively, that's what's separating them at the minute. And they're making what could be tricky home games look pretty routine at the moment. And that's massive credit to Steve Cooper. Yeah, where to start? I mean, you know how impressed I've been with Forrest over the last few months and after after what we saw at the weekend where it was another potential banana skin, shall we say. Obviously, they'd beaten Coventry 2-0 in the, in the week and then obviously followed it up with another 2-0 win over Birmingham. But they're the sort of games where, as proven by Coventry's win at Fulham on Sunday, that nothing can be taken for granted in this league, particularly at this stage of the season. But Forrest, they're just so comfortable and composing in what they do. They just seem to... They just seem to epitomise all what Steve Cooper's about and where he's gone in there and has changed absolutely everything and nothing now seems to phase them, whatever, they, whatever they've got standing in their way. We've seen them beat Arsenal this year. We've seen them hammer Leicester. We saw them push Liverpool all the way in the FA Cup. 
So at this stage, I think it is impossible to, to discount this Nottingham Forest side against anybody. And, and I really do mean that. Starting with Keenan Davis at the weekend, um, I spoke about him last week. It was the game against Blackburn a few weeks ago. I think it was back in January or February time. It was the second week of February where he, for the first time, really caught my eye. He didn't score that night, but he was so influential in Forest winning at Ewood Park. He was so strong, so powerful, and that pace and strength that he's got has just gone up through the gears in recent weeks. And he's, he's kept Lewis Graben out the side since coming back, and rightfully so. So, Forrest, for me, the, the business they've done in the transfer market this summer, uh, this season, I should say, has been terrific. Keenan Davis certainly proving now to be one of the standout loan signings of the five that they've got. So, for him and Forrest, it's been a match made in heaven. But when you look at Forrest collectively now, all of a sudden, they're six points behind Bournemouth. They've played the same amount of games. They've got to play each other in the penultimate game of the season. You, you can't rule them out of this race just yet for me. Bournemouth have been stuttering a little bit. Bournemouth have not been doing a lot wrong. I think they were fortunate to get a point at Sheffield United on Saturday. Mark Travers really kept them in that game. But Bournemouth have been stumbling. They've not been firing all cylinders. And when you remember that at the start of the season, Bournemouth went, what was it, 12, 15 first games unbeaten. Forest were rock bottom after seven. You cannot believe that we're now in a situation with a few weeks to go with thinking that either of these two now could be involved in a kind of a playoff final scenario to, to get that automatic promotion spot. Uh, I mean, Fulham lost on Sunday, but I'm pretty convinced they'll still win the title. It was a blip. But I think that second place for Forrest is up for grabs and I would not discount them getting in there. But for me, for Forrest is they've got a very difficult running. They've got a huge game with Luton on Friday. Then they've got West Brom, won't be easy. They've got to go to Fulham still and they've still obviously got to go to Bournemouth. So, it's going to be a really tough running for Forest, but as they've proven in recent weeks, recent months, they're a match for anybody. And like you said, defensively, they're really, really, really good. So put it this way, if I were playing Forest over the coming weeks, I wouldn't want to be. I think they're the team to watch in the Championship at the minute. I just think everything from the front to the back is just superb. And I'll be honest, I genuinely could see them sneaking into that second spot, even though obviously the, the odds are stacked in Bournemouth's favour. I didn't really think Forrest had got much of a chance despite being six points behind. And I did a little bit more research into it. And now I definitely think they could. Because I may as well touch on Bournemouth now because we're not going to go in-depth on it with it being a draw. Um, their performance levels in 2022 have been erratic. One week, they are absolutely fabulous. They were brilliant against Huddersfield. Wiped the floor with them. And the next minute, literally three days later, they're losing at West Brom. And it, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. And failed to beat Peterborough as well, didn't they? Exactly. I don't un understand. Since the turn of the year, the form, they picked up points fairly consistently. They're not losing games. But I'm more interested in the performance levels and they don't look like a brilliant team right now. They're either brilliant or bang average. And let's be fair, they should have lost to Sheffield United at the weekend because Mark Travers had to be at his absolute best. They should have conceded a penalty. I don't understand what's going on with Gary Cahill. Because he was a championship, I literally put I put him in my team of the year for the half season at the halfway mark. He didn't even get on the bench at the weekend for tactical reasons. So Nat Phillips has come in and replaced him. They've only kept three clean sheets since January, since Phillips came in, which is not this is not a slight of Phillips. I just don't understand why Cahill's been phased out. And to not even get on the bench ahead of Chris Mepham, who hasn't been in great form for the last 18 months or so. Don't get that. That's made them weaker. So defensively, they're not brilliant. And I feel like the the, the form levels, it's just up and down. The, the points tally is not horrific, but the performance levels are miles away from Forrest at the minute. And Forrest are playing as a better team. That is a fact. And when you look with seven games to go each, there's six points in it, and they've still got to play each other. Luton and Fulham are playing Forrest. Bournemouth have still got to play Coventry, Middlesbrough, Blackburn and Fulham. Now, I think on current form, yes, it's at the Vitality Stadium. I think Forrest are a better team than Bournemouth on current form. I think Forrest would beat Bournemouth, maybe draw away from home. So that's the thing. I think between now and the end of the season, I cannot say that I don't think Bournemouth will pick up three less points than Forrest. I think Forrest are more likely to get three extra points in the running in those seven games. So it comes down to that final game. If Forrest beats um, Bournemouth at Bournemouth, They'll, they'll go up. And I, I genuinely think they could because I don't see Bournemouth. Bournemouth could easily go and lose at Coventry next week. Easily. That, that That's not out of the realms of possibility. They've played like 
probably a team between 4th and 10th this calendar year, Bournemouth, whereas Forest have been a top two side. And I think they've just not been consistent enough in terms of the performance levels. The points tally is there. They've not lost many games when you look at it, Bournemouth. But it's the it's the stark contrast to beating, um, winning at the weekend against Bristol City 3-1, playing quite well, 3-2, sorry, playing really well. Then you get turned over by West Brom, a very bad West Brom, I might add, at this point. And then you go and very luckily get a point at Bramall Lane and should have lost. There's no consistency. And before the international break, they beat Huddersfield and absolutely wiped the floor of them. I don't know where they're at at the minute. So for me, I would put Forest. They're obviously the outsiders. Of course they are. But that six-point gap, I, there's, I can see that easily getting eaten away if Forest can win. If Forest can win at Bournemouth, and I see Bournemouth easily dropping points against Coventry away. Um, maybe not Blackburn away, but they'll probably drop points to Fulham, even though it's at home. I think there's enough courage there that, that Forest can make that up. Well, we know there's, there's going to be twists and turns somewhere. There, there always is at this stage of the season. Somebody somewhere is going to slip up. But I think like what you said there, when you compare the the performance levels of both teams, certainly since Christmas, Forest have really been up and at it. They've only lost one league game, but there is always that sense with Nottingham Forest that you think they're going to win. I mean, I mean, just just for example, how many times in recent weeks have me and you had them as our bankers? Ne- nearly every weekend, let, let's be certainly, fair. Certainly at home. We have. Even I went for it at Blackpool and I didn't expect a 4-1 win, but I thought they would win. So I think Forest have got a really, really good chance. And with the way they're playing right now, I think that they have got to think that they can. I really do. And if it, say if it does boil down to that penultimate game against Bournemouth, where it is a case of winner takes all ahead of the final day, I think I could see Forrest doing it. I just think there's such energy and belief around the club. And it might sound a little, a little bit different and a bit strange, but I think if it was to come down to that situation, I think Forrest would want it more. Purely because there's less pressure on. There's less pressure on. Bournemouth have been in the Premier League recently. They know the feeling. Forest have been out there a long, long time out of the Premier League, and they're a big historic football club. And that's no disrespect to Bournemouth at all. But Forest, there is such a unity now around that football club and that city. I've never known a Forest team like this. And I actually checked it the other day. Forest haven't been in a playoff. Finished in the playoffs. I don't think since 2010, 2011. That was the Blackpool year, wasn't it? Uh, it might be the year before, in 2009-10. It's been a transformation beyond belief. And I think I'm right in saying the last team, uh, the highest finish that a club has ever had when being bottom after seven games in the Championship history is 14th. Which really does summarise just how job, well a job Steve Cooper has done. So I think they've got every chance of gate crashing the top two. I think it's certainly possible. Big game of Luton on Friday, that really is a big one. Could go either way, but I think with the way Forrest are playing right now, the confidence levels just must be absolutely sky high. And it's quite clear after after what I saw against Liverpool, they fear absolutely nobody. They lost to Swansea, that's why it will be. They lost to Swansea, didn't they, when Swansea went up that year? Darren Prattley scored, I remember, right at the end. Uh, the Liberty I do, and they lost to Blackpool the year before. Um, Millwall 4, Barnsley 1. We're going to take a look at the relegation picture. Oh, no, we're not. Ignore that. Uh, I missed a game. Um, I'll scrap that. Hang on. Going to move now to the Riverside Stadium, where it's been a pretty poor week for Middlesbrough as they lost 1-0 to Hull City. Back-to-back home defeats for the Borough after um, eight wins on the trot at the Riverside Stadium, of course. Unlucky to lose to Fulham in midweek, I think it's fair to say. Missed some big chances at big moments, but this was a subpar performance. Um, massively undermined by their goalkeeper, not for the first time this season. Um, I feel like Joe Lumley, it seems the easier thing to beat him with a stick, but he's the obvious weak point in this Borough team. And when you are not playing well, and they, let's be fair, Borough weren't brilliant. Like It's not like they created an extra of, of four goals and somehow didn't score. They weren't amazing. But when you're at nil-nil and... You know, you could chase a late goal and the four middles we've got at home. The last thing you need is your goalkeeper chucking in a wobbly and letting it, a pretty tame shot from Keen Lewis Park, if we're being honest, go past him. Another mistake. He's continually costing Middlesbrough points. QPR away springs to mind instantly. Barnsley away didn't cover himself in glory either. And it's proving incredibly costly. When you look at some of the data models that have come out and been released after this latest match week, Middlesbrough's chances of finishing the top six dropped by 17%. A pretty awful week for them. 
Um, as I say, they were lucky in defeat to Fulham, a little bit more clinicality, and they would have probably won that game, or probably not won it. They would have got something from the game. But they weren't brilliant against Hull. But, you know, when you're not quite playing well, you need your big plays in the spine of your team to stand up. And, I, you know, they could have got a late goal. Matt Crooks could have had one in in the 90th minute. He's done it before. He's done it in other games. Um, but, you know, when your goalkeeper's costing you, goalkeeper's meant to save you points. It's that old famous quote that Sir Alex Ferguson used to say, you know, goalkeepers can win your leagues. He's going to cost Borough a top six finish if they're not careful. And I don't know what, they can't do anything about it. They can't sign another goalkeeper. But if goalkeeper will be the first uh, point on Chris Wilder's shopping list, regardless of what happens to Middlesbrough, that's for sure. And he is letting them down. And Hull, Hull played well, don't get me wrong. But Borough at nil-nil, you know, they'd not had a lot to deal with from Hull in terms of them going forward. They had one, they cleared one off the line from Marcus Tavernier. Again, Lumley didn't really cover himself in glory for that either. Went to ground way too early. And it's the sort of one where you're not playing well and you get a gritty one-nil win. But when your goalkeeper does that instead, you end up losing the game, and that could really be damaging for their for their top six hopes. Yeah, it certainly could. And we've spoken a few times, haven't we, this season about Joe Lumley being the the weak link in that Middlesbrough team, and unfortunately for him, it showed again at the weekend. And I do think it has been an area where Middlesbrough have lacked a consistent, solid choice for the last few years. To be fair, probably ever since Darren Randolph left the club. Yeah. So it is a weak spot, and I'm surprised that they didn't address it with more urgency last year under Neil Warnock, but obviously it is what it is. And well, we signed Lumley in the summer, didn't they? We signed him to be yeah, number yeah. one, so Warnock he, wanted him. He's just not, but he's just not kind of the... I don't mean to disrespect him, but he's not the goalkeeper that you would think that he's the number one to mount a playoff. He's charge. not good enough. I'm, I'm, like, I'm quite I happy agree. to say that openly. He's just not and good enough. It wasn't good enough for QPR, so if he's not good enough for QPR, why is he going to be good enough to be Middlesbrough's well, number that's one? that's the thing, isn't it? That is the thing, and that is the question you have to ask, because it's quite clear he cost Middlesbrough at least a point on Saturday. No, no way should have Keen Lewis Potter's shot evaded him, but obviously it did. And that is that. And all of a sudden now Middlesbrough, the team that you thought along with Forrest were probably the certain bet to get into the team. I literally said last week, I literally said last week on this podcast, I don't expect Middlesbrough to drop out the playoffs again this season. Yeah. And then well, they, they back to back games at home. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And the thing is, you, you can understand the full of defeat. You could expect that. A narrow game, tight game, Mitrovic pops up and does what he's done all season. Whereas on Saturday, myself and you both had it as our banker for the weekend. Seemed a pretty certain standard championship home win then obviously Hull City came along and you've got to give Hull credit because they did play well they did put a good away performance together and you've got to credit them for that but for Middlesbrough now all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're thinking that they could miss out here off off the back of some dodgy goalkeeping that could kind of act as the catalyst for a bit of a downturn and I'm looking at Middlesbrough's last six games and the two games they've got over Easter are massive they've got Bournemouth away on Good Friday and they've got Huddersfield at home on Easter Monday. So two really big games. After that, they are playing against four sides that have got nothing to play for in Swansea, Cardiff, uh, Stoke and Preston. So these two games could be what determine Middlesbrough and their attitude and their effort because obviously like Forest, they've been on a really good upward trajectory since getting Chris Wilder in under a new manager mid-season. And along with Forest, we've always thought that they'd be the ones to definitely get into the playoffs. And all of a sudden they're looking like a team that could miss out. So it's really hard to judge. I still think I still think at least three of the four playoff places are up for grabs. I think Forrest are the only team that I would say now are certain to get in there. Uh-huh. I still fancy Sheffield United because of the remaining home games they've got. Tell you what, I if you're think... a Middlesbrough fan, you will be praying your life that Huddersfield and Luton draw tonight. You will. As we record. Because if one of those wins, they're probably unattainable to Forest, uh, to Middlesbrough, sorry. They probably can't catch them. Yeah, obviously, either of them two tonight, if they were to win, we're recording Monday afternoon, they would go above Forest and into third, regardless of Huddersfield or Luton winning. So that kind of takes another one away from it. Obviously, Borough uh, would have a game in hand on both of those two teams, but Forest have a game in hand on Borough already. So it swings and roundabouts. There's so many different mathematics to look at in this race. But the face of it is, Middlesbrough have lost back-to-back home games where they've been so strong at home. Let's not forget, it was eight wins in a row on their own patch. Nine wins, I'm not sure. But it was eight. Well, eight, eight, nine, whatever. I know it was something around that. But let's be honest, two home games. Admittedly, one was against Fulham, the league leaders, admittedly. Then they've played against the whole side who have been struggling consistently for weeks. 
and they failed to score against either of them. So that is a concern. So it really puts them in a bit of a perilous position with six to go. They're still in there. They're still in with a good chance. I'm not going to discount them yet because you can't ever discredit a Chris Wilder team. But I would imagine there's a few Borough fans who've got the jitters all of a sudden. Yeah, definitely. And as you said there, I want to give Hull some credit, definitely. They've been pretty turgid at home since Shota Avaladze came in. But the away form's been pretty great, in fairness. Nine clean sheets this season away from home under Grant McCann and, and under Avaladze, which is pretty impressive. 43%... percent got more. You've literally just took the words out of my mouth. Forty-three percent. Only Bournemouth has a higher percentage um, of clean sheets away from home. So thank you for that, Judge. Uh, Millwall four, Barnsley one. Going to turn our attention to the bottom of the division now. Uh, big victory for Millwall. This their playoff hopes are over. I'm not changing my stance on that, particularly after losing to a Swansea side with nothing to play for in midweek. But a bit of a, a reaction performance for them, and, and Barnsley certainly getting a bit of a spanking. Dan McNamara with a brace. Benicophobe continuing his strong form that he's he's had finishing the season. Lovely confidence in his finishing at the moment. And a pretty big blow for Barnsley, who were pretty dire for the first time in a while. Although they've been obviously down the bottom, we've seen a remarked improvement in their performance levels under uh Poyaraz Bargi since probably six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, since they beat Borough at home. That's the first one that sort of springs to mind. They can't afford many more performances of this nature. Against, especially against teams that have got nothing to play for if they're going to catch Reading because it's one thing to lose at Fulham or against uh, Bournemouth or whoever. But going away to Millwall, who have lost the last two games, um, have been beaten at home by Swansea midweek, playoffs are gone. This You can't put in your probably your worst performance for eight games. Like, or they're going to get relegated. They're, not, they're already having to play catch-up on Reading of five points. And they can't really afford to drop their performance levels that much for many more games between now and the end of the season. It was a it was a surprise. I'm not surprised that Millwall won. I'm surprised in the manner of Barnsley's performance because it was a real setback to what we saw earlier in the season when they were just pretty awful. Yeah, it certainly was. It was kind of a, a rerun to what we saw at the start of the campaign. You're not wrong. And in the first few weeks under Asbargi, because I think when you look at when you look at Barnsley's recent results, even though they've only won one of their last seven games, they were minutes away from beating Stoke. They were minutes away from beating Fulham. They were really, really good in the first half, particularly against Sheffield United. And they were minutes away from beating Reading. So they have been so close and it has been them fine margins for Barnsley. But obviously on Saturday, it was just a, it was a walkover really, wasn't it? It was a really, really poor performance and they, and they got a bit of a stuffing. And considering they're down there, it's actually the first time they've conceded four since November when they lost 4-1 at Fulham. So it's not been a it's not been a case of where they've been getting battered most weeks. A lot of their defeats have been narrow, to be fair. So they they have experienced something they've not felt for a while. And it's now down to seeing how they respond from that and how they react with, with the games that remain. Obviously, they do have a game in hand on Reading. So they're not out of it yet. They've got six left to play. Huge game of Peterborough to come, but when you look at what else they've got to face, they've still got to, got to go to Huddersfield. They've still got to go to West Brom. Still got to play Preston, even though they've got nothing to play for. Preston have proven that they can still give anybody a game. So I am I am leaning towards thinking that Barnsley are doomed. I I would, if I, was, if I got 10 quid to say either way, I would place it in the category of them going down. Yeah, me but too. But while there's a mathematical chance, they've, they've still got to believe they can. And the, the performances against the likes of Fulham and Sheffield United and Stoke recently proved that they are capable of doing a lot better than we saw at the weekend. So it's a big big period coming up for Barnsley. Obviously, two games in four days over Easter. Swansea away, Peterborough at home. For me, they have to take a minimum, a minimum of four from those two games. But obviously, Swansea are really going through the gears at the minute. So that'll be difficult. So they've at least got to beat Peterborough on Easter Monday at Oakwell. So not not impossible, but I am beginning to think, though, that the race is run. Yeah, they've got to beat Peterborough, like you say. That That's absolutely critical for their hopes of, of staying up. Reading 1, Cardiff 2. Reading missed the chance to pretty much relegate Barnsley, really, if the gap had gone to eight points. And it's a, In fairness, it's a big result for Cardiff. We'll touch on them first after they were turned over in the South Wales derby last week. Comeback victory, which you know shows good bottle, good resilience after falling behind to Lucas Joao's first goal in seven. Lovely goal from Alfie Doughty, someone I've always liked, and I've never really understood why he's not really playing for Stoke, if I'm honest, because it looks perfect to play left wing back. Cardiff, obviously, have 
predominantly played about five this season and um, Joe Bagan's been playing there since January. Um, but they went to a 4-2-3-1 this week. He played on the right-hand side on of that, that attacking three, cut inside and got the equaliser. They always thought naturally, you know, Stoke could play 3-5-2 for the predominant of this season. I don't understand why he wasn't... I know Josh Tynum's done well, but I just think Doughty's a really good fit for that sort of role. Um, he's not really played in that position either, though, for, for Cardiff, because Bagan's been playing there. So maybe, maybe that my analysis on that player is not quite right, but he just seems a good fit. He's certainly absolutely rapid, that is for sure. But yeah, good equaliser for, for this one to get them back in the game. And then a lovely sweeping move for the winner. Um, finished very nicely by Will Volts with a double backflip to celebrate. And Reading again, you know, very similar to Barnsley in the way of they can't afford to drop points at home from winning positions against teams that have got nothing to play for. Um, I just don't, just bad game management really. And there's been reports this week that, that Paul Ince is going to be offered the job for next season. I think that would be a bit of a disaster, if I'm honest. He's done an okay job. They're likely to stay up. And that was his remit. So, he, he, you know, it is probably going to be mission accomplished. But have I seen anything from Paul Ince to say he's the man that can rebuild a club and bring an identity in terms of style of play, in terms of stability on the pitch because they haven't got much off the pitch at the moment? Absolutely not. So I'm sorry, when you look at all the up-and-coming EFL managers they could go for, even like you think of someone like Liam Manning, why would you go for Paul Ince rather than try and get a Liam Manning or a... Um, or a Cooper from Forest Green Rovers or something like that. Why would why would you do it? I don't understand. He's done his job. Don't get me wrong. I'm not slagging off Paul Ince. He's done a decent job. He's got them. He's probably they're probably going to stay up. So that would be you know mission accomplished in that sense. But do not want him as the face of the club trying to rebuild it. I would bank on Reading definitely finishing in the bottom six next season, regardless of points deductions or whatever. If he's their manager at the start of next season, that's my honest feeling. And Dropping points at home to a Cardiff side with nothing to play for. They've just been taunted by Swansea in the South Wales derby. I can't help but think that so many... Probably, you're probably looking at five or six teams would have got relegated last season in the Championship. I know I've said this before, um, but it's really not been a strong division down at the bottom. But Yeah, I think when you look at it, Paul Ince, first of all, I mean, I, th- I think he's done an OK job. It looks like they are going to stay up. But I think if they appoint him, it screams to me of being a case of he'll get the job permanently. They'll have a really poor start to the season. He'll probably be out the door by the end of September. It's not it's not a long-term solution where they've gone for a manager that's not been in management for the best part of seven or eight, nine years or whatever it is. It's, it was a strange one at the time, hence why at the very bottom of the press release confirming that uh, Paunovic had gone, they mentioned him. So it was obviously almost like we don't really want to mention that we've got Paul in, so we'll leave that bit till last and then just finish it off. So that, to me, screams already that they didn't think it was going to be a popular decision, which the immediate reaction completely suggested. But to be fair to Paul Ince, he's done an OK job since going in there. They've picked up some decent results here and there. They have improved. But long term, it's, for me, it's just, it's just not the solution. It really isn't. He's done nothing, it really, in his management career to suggest he deserves the chance, I don't think. And to oversee such a rebuild that Reading are likely to be in need of, I wouldn't say he is the, the man that they that they should go with. But to his credit, like I say, he's done a decent job since going in. I think it will take a bit of a swing now for them to go down. So you've got to congratulate him for that if he keeps them. It will be, like you said a few minutes ago, mission accomplished. But I think long term, it's just, it's just not the one. And as for Reading on Saturday, same old story again, going in front and letting it slip. It's eight times this season now that I think they've scored first and gone on to lose. It's the most amount of games that a team's lost in the league from a winning position. So it is an area, obviously, that is of concern for Reading. They just can't hold them to a lead, but it should all be and well be enough to see them get over the line. But obviously, who knows? There's still many more twists and turns to come. Barsley's game in hand could change everything, could narrow the gap a little bit. But if I was a, if I was to put 10 quid on Reading or Barsley staying up, I would be favouring Reading at this stage. Yeah, I would too. Um, good to know that I shouldn't be hiring anyone from Reading Football Club to be walking my dog anytime soon. Swansea 2, Derby 1. Refereeing decisions centre stage in this one, George. We're going to go through them because it's always fun to, to do some refereeing discourse. Um, no complaints about Joel Perot's brace inside 16 minutes, which kicked the game off. Really good finishes, um, particularly the second one. Really nice finish into the bottom corner. and He's come alive 
since moving sort of back into that number 10 position. Obafemi stretching the play, running the channels a little bit better. It's just a nice combination, him and Patterson playing just off him. Um, no complaints about the penalty on Luke Plange. Um, I think Fisher fouls him. He comes out, doesn't get any of the ball. He, he does drag his feet along the floor a little bit, but it's a penalty. No issue. Tom Lawrence scores 2-1. Then we get into the real nitty-gritty sort of stuff. Um, Allsop should see red, in my opinion. I think he clearly blocks off Jamie Patterson after a pretty horrific pass. He would be included in my goalkeeping blunders of the week, um, even though he got away with it, along with um, Marit Rodak and Joe Lumley. And then Luke Plange was wrestled to the ground by Ben Cabango. Now, what I would say about this one is I do think Plange has also got hold of Cabango's shirt, and I thought that instantly. But it probably still is a penalty. I don't think it's quite six and a half for one and no six. And, <laughs> can't say it. You know what I mean. You know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's quite an even split on the foul. I think you're probably more looking at nine to three if we're going to break the twelve down in favour of um, Plange being fouled. So I think it's still a, a penalty. And then the weirdest one of the most, and not probably the least impactful, but the strangest one was the decision to blow for full time when. Ravel Morrison had been chopped down on the edge of the area and you've got a set-piece specialist like Tom Lawrence licking his lips. And Wayne Rooney was furious. I can understand why. I think they've been hard done to with the penalty decision and the free kick. The free kick was just baffling. It was just bad officiating. I don't understand what they were thinking. I can understand how you can look at a penalty and think it's not a penalty. But why did you? how could you think it's appropriate to blow the full-time whistle there? Just strange, really. But they massively got away with one at 2-1. And it would have been a red card for, for the goalkeeper Allsop. So, on the balance of play, it's probably about even. But just strange refereeing. I can understand why you'd be infuriated if you were Wayne Rooney. The standard of refereeing in the Championship isn't good enough. And it's something the FA have got to improve. Until Mike Riley goes, I'm afraid I don't think it will. I think he's the root of a lot of the problems in senior refereeing without going down a rabbit hole. Um, he certainly, I don't hear good things about him from people in refereeing circles. So, I think he's a lot to blame for it. But the stand in the championship is just not good enough. It really isn't. And it was just strange officiating in this game in particular. Oh, it was bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. I've seen the highlights of the game and the one that stood out for me more than anything other was when Allsop brought him down. I couldn't believe that the referee didn't do anything. I was absolutely astounded. I mean, I, just, I watched it and I thought, right, didn't hear about this during the afternoon. Didn't know he got booked or a red card or whatever. And then just play resume. And I thought, what? How has he got away with that one? But there we go. Like you say, it's been a. Do you disagree with season. me on on any of those decisions? No, not at all. Not at all. I think you're bang on. I think the assessment for each one's correct. Like you say, at the end, the Ravel Morrison free kick that should have been awarded again, questionable. Wayne Rooney, who's been obviously so calm at times this season under the under the pressure and the stress that he's had to deal with, just obviously lost his rag at the end. And who could blame him? You can understand why Rooney's probably think everyone in the world is against him. And the last yeah. thing he needs is Tim Robinson throwing in a dodgy refereeing decision or performance. Well, he certainly was, uh, unfortunately, the victim of a few of those on Saturday, wasn't he? And I mean, it's just getting to the point now where we are seeing more and more and more really poor decisions. And it's certainly been in the last month or so where I think the levels have increased I mean, obviously, you think back to the, the whole City-Huddersfield game a week last Friday night. There were so many dodgy decisions in that one. Wasn't that Tim to... Robinson as well? Was that the same referee? Now you're asking. I'm going to look. You carry on talking. I'm going to look. You check. But like you say, it's just so many more questionable ones. I think back to the, the Derby County versus Coventry City game last month as well. Really dubious penalty award in Derby's favour for top. Foul on Tom Lawrence, alleged foul. So it is getting worse, the standard of officiating. It is something that needs addressing very, very quickly because it is going to, eventually, it is going to have a real impact on where teams can finish their respective campaigns because the decisions are just getting more and more dubious, more and more questionable and, quite frankly, not good enough. So I can understand Wayne Rooney's uh, frustrations. Aside from that, obviously, 2 0 Joel Piro goals. Kind of gave them an uphill struggle before the game was even 20 minutes old. Obviously got a route back into it, then just couldn't find another one. So it, it is going to be the away form that condemns Derby. Obviously the home form has been pretty good. It probably on paper, it was probably one of the best home records that's actually been relegated from the Championship, quite remarkably. So 
it is going to be the waveform that kills Derby off. They're still alive in terms of being mathematically able to pull it off, but I think even the most optimistic Derby fan now knows that the, the race is run. It's It was Jeremy Simpson who was in charge of the, the whole Huddersfield game, so uh, apologies to Tim on that one, but you did have a shocker at the weekend. Yeah, as you say, Derby look like they're going to go down. The points deductions obviously relegated them, but the away form's been pretty awful. They've got like a top 10 home record and a bottom three away record, so not very balanced in that sense. Only the second football league team to lose eight straight away games this season, so not very good on the road, it's fair to say. West Brom 1, Stoke City 3. I saw this one from a mile off, if I'm honest. Um, Stoke's mini renaissance continues under Michael O'Neill, who is certainly learning the players he can build around for next season. One of those men is definitely Lewis Baker, pulling the strings in midfield. Eight goals and two assists since coming in from Chelsea in January, earning rave reviews from Stoke City fans. Jacob Brown's another player I really like. He's got 12 goals and five assists and got on the score sheet at the weekend. They're two big players that I want Stoke to build around next season. I want them to play 4-3-3 and I want Tyrese Campbell to play on the right wing as well because he's not really getting much game time at the minute. He's not found his feet really in that goal-scoring touch in the 3-5-2. I don't think it suits him as much. I think he wants to be playing off the right-hand side. Um, interested to see Will Forrester coming into the, the team. Um, Stoke City youngster on the right of the back three. Scored on his debut in the last game of last season and then went on loan to Mansfield. Um, but he's been kept out by a numerous amount of ankle problems and he's been unable to build on that. Came into the team for his first appearance since that debut. Uh, really good performance. Michael O'Neill praising him quite heavily after the match and he could be someone that, along with Harry Souter, you imagine will come straight back into that team. Could play a decent role for, for Stoke next season because we don't really know what that back line will look like. Souter will play. Um, Chester... Might be out of contract. I think he's out of contract. Harwood Bellish will go back to Man City. Jack Yelker, I think, only signed to the end of the season. So they've got Ben Wilmot as well, but he's sort of played it right back when they played a back four, which I don't really get either. So be interesting to see what they do, but Forrester's one to keep an eye out on. Brown and Baker were the, the star men in this one as well in terms of a, an offensive point of view. And Stoke are getting the results that they needed to get to finish this season strong and not let it die out on a whimper like it did last season. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously, we were raising questions, weren't we, not so long ago about Mike O'Neill's future and how the season was going to end for Stoke. And I think it just proves that it is not always the best best cause of attack to, to sack a manager. It just proves it that teams experience little wobbles, they experience blips, and, and Stoke are threatening now to finish the season really strongly. And I think, obviously, Stoke have, more probably more than anybody, have had to put up with some horrendous injury luck over, over recent months and recent seasons. So... You've got to cut Michael O'Neill a little bit of slack for that. But at the minute, Stoke are really threatening to become something ahead of maybe next season being the time where they eventually launch that assault that you predicted about two or three years ago. So I think when you when you mentioned... I didn't fall that, for it this year. Lewis Baker's come in and been absolutely outstanding. There's no other word for it. I, I put, a, put a question out on the podcast Twitter page the other evening asking who had been the best January sign with a picture of Lewis Baker and... It divided a little bit of opinion. Cameron Archer obviously getting quite a few mentions. Keenan Davis the same. But I think when you think about Lewis Baker, considering he'd been obviously out on loan about a million times from Chelsea and he, he desperately needed somewhere to, to call it home. He's been absolutely terrific, hasn't he? He really has. And I think when you score eight goals and get a couple of assists in a team that's not really been doing an awful lot, shall we say, it speaks volumes about just how talented a player he is because there is a special player in there and Chelsea always had a high hopes for him but it was it was always unlikely he'd make the grade with the, obviously the money that Chelsea spend. So big credit to Lewis Baker. He's come in and really lifted Stoke, raised the spirits. Jacob Brown has been terrific all season long. I think there's a massive, massive future ahead for him at Stoke City next season where he can kind of be the main man to spearhead that attack. Obviously Tyrese Campbell alongside him, Nick Powell obviously hopefully we're back fit. So there's, there's nice little little pieces going into the Stoke City jigsaw, shall we say, for, for Michael O'Neill to build around. So the foundations are there. Obviously, it's going to take a little bit of work across the summer and it'd be interesting to see what they do. But as proven by a win at West Brom like that and obviously beating Bournemouth in the week, it proves that there is there is potential and quality in the Stoke City team when they, when they just turn the heat up that little bit. Equally, West Brom's performances are erratic, to put it kindly. Um, beat Bournemouth in midweek and then just didn't show up against Stoke, which has been the case way too often. 
Steve Bruce got a massive job on his hands in the summer and I, I'm not convinced he's the man to turn it around and you, I'm not convinced he's the man you want to lead that rebuild, if I'm honest. I said when he got appointed that I thought it would be an okay appointment till the end of the season, but I didn't understand why you'd want him you know, on an 18-month deal. Um, and that's proved correct. They didn't get the instant impact. And I don't. I, I could see why you'd get Bruce in and the point they were at where they still had a chance for playoffs to galvanise them, get to end of the season, maybe get in the playoffs, maybe get promoted. But you didn't want him on an 18-month deal because if this went badly wrong, which it has done, I don't think you want him rebuilding that squad personally. I, I wouldn't anyway if I was a West Brom fan. And it'd be interesting to see how he sort of tries to reshape that team in the summer. Finally, we've got Preston North End 2, QPR 1. A big week and a very polar uh, week for both of these two teams. Two wins for Preston, two defeat for Rangers. QPR are done, as far as I'm concerned, now for the top six. Uh, I, I'm ruling I them out. it was over a while ago. Well, about a month ago, I said they'd finish in the top six, so now I'm officially ruling them out of the top six contention. I'm not looking at them anymore. Um, just, they're pretty abject to them, aren't they, QPR? Sloppy defense. I thought both goals... Screen to me a team that just lacked intensity. You know, just it just sloppy defending, wasn't it? They did second to every ball, not really having that intensity to really go and commit. The second one for Cameron Archer, there's an opportunity for Jimmy Dunn to go and win the ball, and he just runs away, and that's probably a lack of confidence. And then Archer, once he gets into his stride, he fires it into the back of the net for the second. So he's up to seven for the season. It's been a really good January edition up there with Keenan Davis and, and Lewis Baker. They've only lost one in seven when he's scored as well. So he's clearly a bit of a lucky charm for, for Preston. And a big week for Ryan Lowe is he wants to go in the summer with some momentum. He said that. He said many times he won't let the, the season just peter out. Players are playing for their future. I think we'll see a, a lot of change at Preston in the summer. I don't see Ryan Lowe as the sort of man who's going to let people just sort of sit there for the journey. So big week for them and a bad week for QPR again. Yeah, another disaster, disastrous week for Queen's Park Rangers, isn't it? He just continues to go from bad to worse and once you're in a rut like this it is really really hard to see a way out of it and like you said against Preston at the weekend they just they just didn't seem to have anything about them did they they just seemed really slow and lethargic and almost like they were on the beach really even though there is still a mathematical chance that they can get into the top six and I think when you consider the run that they'd been on at the start of the year to now be in this position in 11th place it's it's absolutely disastrous, isn't it? The way that things have changed so, so quickly. And obviously me and you backed Mark Warburton to the hilt only only last week or the week before. And we were saying about how it's not how it's important not to be rash with managers. And Michael O'Neill at Stoke has proven that. But I can understand QPR fans now beginning to get restless. I can understand it. But something obviously somewhere has gone wrong for QPR to go into a, a complete collapse. Like this isn't just is it now a little bad patch. This is an, a monumental collapse now. I think it's two wins in 14 games in League and Cup. I think it's six championship defeats in seven. I haven't got the stats to hand. But it's remarkable just how badly things have gone so very quickly. And for me, I think QPR in the summer have got to, have got to look what they want to do and, and the direction they want to go in. But I would still stick with Mark Warburton, if I was to be honest with you. I would still stick with him because over the course of his tenure at Loftus Road, the positives outweigh the, the negatives by a long, long way. And it's important to remember what, what he has achieved, even though obviously there's no promotion or anything to show for, for his efforts as of yet. But there are have been many, many instances where sacking a manager is not always the best cause of action to take. And it can't always have the benefits that you, that you think of where the grass is greener on the other side. So UPR, obviously, they need to get out of this rut very, very quickly. They need a win from somewhere. They need just to end the losing run. Tighten up defensively as well. So they, they are now going to be looking to get to the summer. But I would, for what it's worth, I would stick with Mark Warburton. Me too. I think I made that clear a couple of weeks ago. But I agree with you. I think we're coming to the end of the season. It has been a monumental collapse. I can't get away from that. It's been unbelievable. I think you let him rebuild and see what happens in the summer. And fingers crossed they get off to a better start to next season. There was three draws in the Championship this weekend. We've already sort of touched on Sheffield United nil, Bournemouth nil, Bournemouth very lucky to escape with a point. Mark Travers with some big saves. Sheffield United denied a clear penalty on Ollie McBurney. Um, Blackburn won. Blackpool won. Two points dropped this really for Blackburn after they took the lead. Second half performance was really erratic after Blackpool equalised. If we're being honest, I thought Blackpool looked the most likely team to to win it after the Epiteta equaliser. 
this was a, a game they really had to win if they were going to catapult themselves back in the playoff places. And I just think the season might be running out at the wrong time. A little bit of steam falling out. And then Bristol City won. Peterborough won. No complaints about the red card, but Bristol City still managed to concede. Johnson Clark Harris continuing his, his good scoring run under Grant McCann since he's come in. Peterborough have already won more points away in four away matches under Grant McCann than they did under 17 under Darren Ferguson. And that wraps up this Championship Weekend Analysis. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to finish now with our shots and bankers as always. George, what have you got for me for Easter and for Good Friday? Well, certainly uh, playing to show them all 24 teams in action on one day. Has that been known at all this season? Good Friday promises to be good. Looking forward to it. I always like the Easter, Easter schedule, Friday, Monday. It's, it's like when you get into that point in it when you know the finish line is so close and these four days could be so defining. So plenty to choose from this week for me. But in terms of banker, I'm going to I'm gonna go with Sheffield United at home to Reading. I know Reading have, have threatened to do decent performances here and there, but Sheffield United have just been so good at home. Certainly under Paul Hecking, but I think he's 12 unbeaten now at Bramall Lane. They're absolutely flying, so I can't see anything of the United win there. So that's going to be my banker. In terms of a shock for Good Friday, I'm going to go for I'm going to go for Derby to beat Fulham. I could really see it happening under the lights on Sky. Derby obviously at the minute still in with a fighting chance. Fulham, who knows how they could react after that blip on Sunday? Derby got a point at Fulham earlier in the season, goalless draw. You never know. I'm going to go for Derby to beat Fulham. I'm going to go brave. I I considered that, so I can see where you're going for. I didn't go for it in the end. My shock is for Middlesbrough to win at Bournemouth. Spoke about Bournemouth's erratic performance levels over the, the, well, pretty much since the turn of the year. So I could definitely see them throwing a wobbly. And I definitely think Middlesbrough will have a point to prove and Wilder will get them revved up for that game. So wouldn't shock me if um, Borough were to win at Bournemouth. So that's my shock. My banker's going to be Stoke. Um, to win at Bristol City or to beat Bristol City at home. Home form's been better. They've won the last two home games to nil and Bristol City pretty atrocious playing out the season with nothing to play for. Leaky as they come as well. So that's from, uh, that's my shock and banker. Shock, Borough to win at Bournemouth and my banker is stoked to beat Bristol City at home. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy our weekly breakdowns, please drop a retweet when the episodes go live. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, which contributes the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great Easter. We'll catch up with you probably on Tuesday for a a bumper episode um, after hopefully a great weekend of championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.